0: Welcome to the JLA cast, a podcast in which we revisit Grant Morrison's legendary run on JLA, arguably the greatest superhero comic ever written, one issue at a time. My name's John and I'm the writer and creator of Afterlife Inc.
1: And I'm PJ and I am the writer of the graphic novel adaptation of Steve Jackson's The Troll Tooth Wars.
0: Well PJ, I'm proud to say we, we, made it, we made it through the opening with relatively few errors, i.e. None.
1: I think we, yeah, I think we've got this opening down by now. Surely, how many episodes are we on right now? What's this
0: episode? Uh, Twenty six, one hundred and thirty three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is like, um, this that's like the Twilight Zone kind of twist at the end, where it's like, you know, yeah, we if, this is episode three thousand. We're, we're never, we're never going to reach the end of the series.
1: <laughs> well, JLA they still going in one form or another, so.
0: Well, that is true, yeah. No. Yeah. It's weird, isn't it? Because we set ourselves um, a fairly realistic goal in trying to cover the Morrison era Hmm. of JLA because, you know, there is an end in sight and it's manageable. Um, And we're already, like, we've done... uh, We're past Rock of Ages. Like, I don't want to say we're, like, halfway through, but kind of? Yeah, we're
1: not far off, is it? Because the main JLA book, it was... I can't remember. I want to say issue 33 or 34 is the last Morrison issue.
0: Uh, 41, PJ.
1: I was wrong. So we're almost halfway.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Although, of course, we've stretched some stuff out. Yes. And I know the first two books are very short ones. So we've got some kind of longer. I know um, Justice for All, Strength in Numbers, they're both quite hefty volumes. Chunky old reads. Yeah, so you're not quite you're not quite rid of us yet, listener, but you know, it's the end is a real enough prospect that we have to kind of consider what comes next. I you know.
1: I like referring to it, as you did just now as well, as the Morrison era, actually, rather than the Morrison run. Because within that run you get fill-in issues by Mark Wade and Mark Miller, and we've already oh, covered do, Midsummer's yeah. Nightmare that was different writers. So I, I like referring to it as an era now. I'm going to do that instead of as, as a run because mm. other writers get involved, but it still hinges on what Morrison was doing.
0: Well, it's like... Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, and it also makes me feel that, like, it's like an archaeological dig, you know? And it's like you can, you start peeling back the gravel you get, like, half a metre down and you're like... Oh what's this? Oh that's the Orlando era. Okay, keep going. Yeah. <laughs> Kelly right now. You go know, Oh, it's a very thin layer of Kelly. Oh, right, we're in the Morrison era. Uh, and then I mean, God knows what would you, how would you even define the era before Morrison? Like I you know, the the tail end of the night of the 90s run. I
1: couldn't tell you who was writing the book at that point. I have absolutely no idea. I know you get uh in the mid to late 80s you get Justice League and then Justice League International era which is um um Giffen, Giffen and Keith Giffen and JM Dimiteus I believe co-wrote Yeah. With Kevin Maguire on art and then there's a big gap and then Morrison. <laughs>
0: Do you know what's wrong is I've I've got um I've got a bit of a gap in my knowledge when it comes to Giffen. I have like uh, I've never read Justice League International. And was Giffen Am I getting confused cuz Giffen dabble in arcs as well um i'm not sure i've got
1: a feeling you're right i think he might have done yes because
0: i think the only book i've got with his name as a credit on is 52 yes and i want to say that he did all the layouts even though different artists finished the pages
1: that does sound familiar actually no you said that might be dreaming
0: Here's a PJ. Given that you are a font of knowledge, here's a question for you. (laughs) Oh, good. Talking as we're talking, kind of um, the Paleolithic uh, Morrison era. um, I have recently been trying to watch the X Men anime, which is on Netflix. uh, Which was one of four limited series that Marvel co-produced in like the two thousands. Oh, okay. And they did Iron Man, Blade. Wolverine and X Men as like four different series. Mm. I think all of which had a different Japanese animation team associated with it.
1: Yes, but they had voice actors who would cross, like, so, like, Wolverine appeared in an Iron Man one and it was the same voice actor.
0: Ah, was it? Interesting. Right. Well, all I knew about them was I'd heard that they were at best average and some of them were quite bad. That's fair. Uh, yeah, so I've been trying to watch the X-Men anime and honestly, it's one of the most soporific things I've ever watched. Like, I- I'm kind of like enjoying it but I-, I fall asleep after 10 minutes. Mm. Like, like it's um, it's weirdly sedate. Um, Anyway, the reason I bring it up is, it's based quite heavily on the Morrison run of New X-Men. Oh, okay. So it did at least inspire me to pick up my uh, my um, ultimate trade paperbacks of the Morrison run on X-Men. Mm-hmm. And I found myself trying to piece together the timeline here, and I was hoping you could confirm it, because the Morrison era on JLA ended in May 2000 with the last issue of World War Three. Yes, I believe that's correct. And didn't New X Men kick off in 2000, 2001, That sort of time.
1: Yeah, I, it, Morrison moved from JLA and DC to X Men and Marvel. It was that that was the path he took. They took.
0: Was that was that almost was that almost similar? Like was that was it? Were they poached or was that? How did that work? Did Marvel go? You're doing great work on JLA. We want you. One of our flagship titles.
1: I think that's how it went, yeah, from my remembrance of, of the period. I I believe that's the case. And who wouldn't jump at a chance to write the X-Men? And then of course Morrison finished their X-Men run and essentially moved straight back to DC and Batman,
0: I believe. Yeah, when did Where did Seven Soldiers of Victory fall in that?
1: Okay, so I, I think, and I might be wrong, please do correct me if I am, uh, anybody out there listening. <laughs> I think that Morrison finished their X-Men run, moved on to Batman, and it was during their run on Batman that they started doing some other weird stuff for DC. So um, All-Star Superman and Seven Soldiers and, and all the other sort of little outlier stuff they were doing mm-hmm. at the same time as they were doing their main run on on. Uh, he, they were on the main Batman book, weren't they? Not Detective, because it was Paul Dini writing Detective Comics at the time, I, yeah. I, I want yeah, to say. Yeah, no, it was
0: the main Batman book. It's weird, because I want to... Yeah, it's weird, because it, that sounds right, but there's part of me that wants to say that, like, maybe there was a bit of a gap between X-Men and Batman. I might be dreaming. But it's interesting, because it, there's definitely a pattern, isn't it? It's like... You know, there's a, there's a direct similarity between where JLA was prior to Morrison, and where X Men was prior to Morrison. Yeah, because they were both they were both kind of, you know, in doldrums. Like they weren't really kind of going anywhere. And Morrison had worked such wonders for uh, JLA. I can imagine. You know, it wasn't just like you're a good writer. It's also you're a good reimagining like you're you're good at like revitalizing a franchise
1: certainly that was the case with X-Men because I I, I'd read all those X-Men comics that was when I was reading X-Men every month X-Men and Uncanny right up from because you get Onslaught and then that finishes and then there's some pretty good stuff in X-Men I think you get uh, Joe Kelly does some for a few months but then Alan Davis came on board as writer and mm. I really enjoyed uh, Alan Davis's run. He did the, um, the Apocalypse, the 12 storyline, which was oh, really yeah. weird, but I actually really enjoyed. And then Alan Davis Claremont left, and yeah, they back. brought in Chris Claremont, and then the book just went downhill. That was Claremont's that was when- big return to X-Men, and it just wasn't very good. And it was after Claremont that Morrison got given X-Men, which became new X-Men, but they still gave... Claremont Extreme X-Men, that got launched so Claremont would still have an X-Men book.
0: Yes, because it's bizarre because there is a crossover of sorts. There's an episode or there's an issue of Extreme X-Men where Storm <laughs> comes and visits Jean Grey or they go on like a psychic vacation. Yeah, I remember or that, yeah. But it's weird because it's like, Never have two writing styles been more jarringly, like, thrust up against one another, well, if that makes sense. It happens again a little later on because you
1: get uh, Bishop and Sage turn up in new X-Men to investigate oh, do, yeah. the, the murder of Emma Frost, I think it is, uh, and, and Morrison's bishop is so much better than Claremont's.
0: <laughs> yeah. I I do wonder if, like... Morrison was kind of like made to include them or whether they actually wanted to because I can imagine like wanting to call in a couple of mutant detectives is, is a very kind of like Morrison kind of thing. Mm. But yeah, it is weird. They were so it really was like old meets new because I found like I found New X Men very jarring at first when I first read it as a teenager.
1: Yes, I wasn't particularly keen on it the first time I read it because it was so different to what I knew and expected. From X Men.
0: And it was a little like, a little grimy, a Mm -hmm. little unsettling, you know. And I was like, oh, this isn't what I'm used to.
1: Yeah. It's only, I think, when I revisited it later that I sort of realized what Morrison was doing with the book and actually appreciated it a lot more and enjoyed it a lot more. But it was a, even that was a really weird weird period for the X Men franchise as a whole because you've got Morrison doing great things on New X Men. You've got Claremont doing his so-so run on Extreme X-Men. And then you've got Chuck Austin writing some of the worst comics I've ever read in Uncanny (laughs) X-Men.
0: Uncanny X-Men. Was that the team that led by Havoc? Yeah. It was like Havoc, Polaris, Juggernaut. Nightcrawler, Angel, Husk. Yeah. And it just... It
1: was bad. Everything (laughs) about it was bad. Well, no, actually, I say, like, not everything... I liked when he brought both Juggernaut and Northstar onto the team. I liked those developments for those two characters, but the actual storylines and the scripting was really bad.
0: I can't say I followed Chuck Osking's career closely, but didn't he write a few issues of Avengers? Yes. Not long before he got turned into new Avengers.
1: Austin wrote the few issues in between when Jeff Johns left and Bendis came on board.
0: Was that when the new Captain Britain was introduced? Yes, that was and Austin. He did two storylines. Yes, with a uh, shall we say a, a, a not an entirely delicate portrayal of domestic abuse, if I if I remember correctly.
1: Yeah, there was a whole a love triangle between Hawkeye, Wasp, and Hank Pym, and it was handled really
0: poorly. Uh, it was, but oh, again, but again, sorry, just just a, a blindingly obvious thought that suddenly sprang to mind. Um, the, the thing about morrison where like morrison will innovate and then subsequent creators will spend 10 years referencing or copying what morrison did yeah um but it's interesting because like to take x men and then go x men is dying x men completely needs a revamp it's, they tried to make cyclops like edgy with long hair for like kind of three issues <laughs> before morrison comes along and then they like and morrison's like no 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 new x men Mutants is a cultural revolution, here's what we're doing. And then, of course, I want to say like in 2004-ish, you've got, or maybe earlier, sorry, you've got Bendis completely overhauling Avengers. And now suddenly that's called New Avengers. So again, yeah. we're like, we want to recreate that Morrison magic.
1: Yeah, very much. After And after New Avengers, you get, all the books get a new, you get a new Excalibur coming out soon after House of M. Uh, new Defenders at some point happened and every book has to have a new and then later on they go in and go all new X-Men and all new Avengers <laughs> and then even later on they did all new all different X-Men and it's like okay we get oh, God. what you're trying to do <laughs> here <get> but
0: <laughs> Morrison accidentally created a monster. I know one thing I found kind of shocking is go. I know we'll get there in time but when I put it together in my head and was thinking like so the end of jla and the start of new x-men at most there's like a year between but it's probably a lot less i think it's only six months i think it might only
1: be a couple of months to be
0: honest and it's just the the difference between those two issues you know uh it's, it's it's astonishing like the different approach to superhero comics yeah, from one writer as well, though. Because yeah. I
1: think if you look at JLA, I think Morrison's influence on on JLA and what happened subsequently is more... Morrison had a very classic approach to JLA in that it was, this is the, the big hitters of the DC universe as a team and going to throw them up against big cosmic level threats, some of which you've seen before, some of which you haven't, and we're just going to have some fun. Mm -hmm. Whereas Morrison completely changed what the X-Men were. It wasn't a school at that point. It was... was, The X-Men were literally just another superhero team, effectively. And it was Morrison who really brought the school aspect to it and had students attending the Xavier Institute. And I think changed X-Men forever because that's what it's been ever since then. Everything that has come since Morrison left X-Men has been trying to replicate or follow what they did rather than anything that came before that. Whereas JLA... we You know, we love Morrison's run on, on JLA and, and the stories that they told. But the, they were revolutionary in their own way, but not in a way that's stuck in the book.
0: No, no, and it's interesting because, it as you say, it was a return to not basics but kind of like pure principles yeah. of the JLA like the JLA had got like had deviated further and further and further from what made it great and just like well, i guess just like x men had mm. come to think of it but it's weird that what's you're right you're quite you're so right because what saved each book was a very different approach yeah. <laughs> it was either going completely back to basics or no taking it in a completely new direction like i don't think you could have done um a new x men on jla I don't know what the new JLA would be, and I don't know if if the world ever would really want that, in a way. Well,
1: to do it, you'd have to revamp Superman and Wonder Woman and Batman, and you can't do that on a team book. You can only do that in their own books, and even then, it's a tricky prospect. Whereas on X-Men, the only one that had their own title at the time was Wolverine, and Wolverine as a solo book can be more influenced by what's going on in the X-Men titles than say Captain America can by what's going on in the Avengers because Wolverine mm. is so tied into that world of X-Men and his solo book came after the team book so I think that's one of the reasons Morrison was able to make such huge changes to what was uh, the status quo of the X-Men books at the time
0: and it's weird to think also like if you are if you're Morrison and it's um, mid 2000 and you're coming down off uh this JLA high <laughs> you've been on for like a, a few years like like that's like the biggest game in town certainly at DC like where do you go from there and you know when you are a superstar writer of which there weren't many uh who could command that kind of power um the avengers uh, you've got to you know it's maybe hard to imagine to anyone who's, you know, a slightly younger listener, but um, the Avengers just weren't a going concern at that point in time. Um, X Men were meant to; be, they were the flagship team of um, of Marvel.
1: Yeah, well, Avengers was being outsold by the Ultimates at the time, mm. and that's the reason they brought Bendis in to relaunch the Avengers was to try and make the Avengers to Marvel, what the JLA were to DC. Because they, while that's the basic concept of their origin, the Avengers hadn't been that for a while. But that's why Bendis suddenly... Yeah, Captain America and Iron Man. But that's why he has Spider-Man join the team. And, you know, it's like, well, this is the biggest team. Why don't we have Marvel's biggest character on there? And, things and Wolverine, like of course. And Wolverine as well, yeah. So it was it's ve- weird, cause I know, very much I'll a just... Marvel's JLA. That's what the Avengers needed to be again. And that's what Bendis made them.
0: Because it's weird. Because I know that, like, it's almost like while Morrison was working on New X Men, it's almost like the X Men themselves were kind of maybe like separate from the wider Marvel universe. Like, they there wasn't like a lot of um, crossover with, say, the Avengers or the Fantastic Four or anything. Almost none. And, I think it, and it wasn't really, unless I'm wrong, it wasn't really until the Whedon run after, because Whedon kind of took a lot of what Morrison had done and maybe softened it just a little bit, like made it a bit more kind of, a bit less edgy, a bit more kind of accessible. And that's when the Avengers start, kind. I'm sorry, the X-Men start kind of re-entering the Marvel Universe in a way.
1: Yeah, yeah, because I think Beast appeared in a couple of issues of Avengers in his new X-Men Look, certainly the the final issue of Busick's run. Busek uses Beast in there, and he's he's the new cat like Beast in the black leather. Oh God, is he wow, Yeah, yeah. Um, but other than that, no, the X Men didn't really have many many crossover appearances. I think probably until House of M.
0: I'm well, yeah. I, I'm thinking House of M, and I'm also thinking um, the Sentry storyline. Yep, yeah, from very briefly beforehand, where I know they make. Uh, a bit of a cameo there. Thus, beginning Bendis's long tradition of having a four-team team up in every other issue. <laughs> yeah, he uh, just couldn't resist him. I couldn't, couldn't resist. Um, but yeah, it's weird. I mean, I don't. I got to think: is is Avengers the only big Marvel property that Morrison hasn't worked on? Um, you know, one of the big superstar teams out in the world.
1: Have they done Fantastic Four?
0: They have in a limited series as part of the Marvel Knights run. Oh, yes!
1: I forgot that book, yeah. Uh,
0: yeah, It's think... a weird little one in itself because it's quite a kind of dark take on Fantastic Four.
1: Yeah, wasn't it
0: called. 1234. One, yeah. <laughs> yeah, with Jay, Jay Lee doing, yeah. the, doing the
1: artwork. I'd forgotten about that book.
0: Because it's weird, isn't it? Because. I'm just trying to think across the big two. Um, yeah, I, I not to put the Teen Titans down, say, but I say if you were, if you were like a big, if you were a superstar writer and you wanted like the big gigs in town, we're kind of talking JLA, X Men, Avengers, Fantastic Four.
1: Uh, depending on which decade we're in Fantastic Four, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Because it, it's, so, it's, it's changed so much now, but there was a time when it was a really big deal when, say, Morrison or, or, or one of them, their, you know, uh, kind of um, peers at the time, was kind of, like, signed to one of these flagship books. I remember being so excited when they announced that... Um, uh, Morrison was going to be um spearheading a, a Wildstorm revival and that Morrison would be joint writing Wildcats and the Authority at the same time. Oh okay. And it's like the it's like one of the all time infamous Lost hmm. series, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because Morrison wrote issue one of Wildcats and issue one of authority. And I wanna say that only the Wildcats one was illustrated. It was illustrated by Jim Lee. Okay. And then it got pulled for some reason. And the and then it, it just kind of it, it never went any further. I can tell you why it was pulled. Why was it pulled? Grifter's stupid mask. <laughs> Hey PJ, do you know do you know what's under that mask? <laughs> Has he not got a the, face? It's the truth, PJ. This is this is this is your Lynchian nightmare. When you <laughs> when you're approached by Grifter and you and you you rip off his stupid mask as you'd have it, you're gonna see your own face embarrassed, scaring back at you. I would be embarrassed. Very embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> embarrassed at your words, PJ. Not at your not at your awesome
1: facewear. No, I'd be embarrassed if someone had found out that is who is below Grifter's mask and I'd be embarrassed because you know all it took was a small breeze.
0: You're like you're doing a this is like um a Jay Jonah Jameson kind of thing. It's like you spend all your day kind of all day slagging off Grifter and I think deep down in your curmudgingly heart there's like a little a little seed of love. Bring there. me pictures of Grifter. <laughs> But not with a mask from the neck down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, PJ, why have you got to hate Funsies? Funsies, yeah, <laughs> Lols. I don't know. Um, should we? Uh, should we get back into JLA Earth Two? Yeah, PJ? let's let's finish this book. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, it feels like we've been talking about it for six weeks now. Uh, it does, doesn't it? It's weird. Um, a lifetime. Uh, PJ, what, what's been happening so far? Where are we? Well, we are... we are, I can't, I've forgotten we, how to speak, we are. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's alright. We are two-thirds of
1: the way through JLA Earth 2, the one-shot, 100-page graphic novel by Grant Morrison and Frank Quietly, uh, with letters by Kenny Lopez and colours by Laura Dupuy and Wildstorm FX, in which Alexander Luthor of an evil antimatter universe ruled over by the Crime Syndicate of America, has travelled over to the JLA's world, also called Earth-2 in this book, and recruited the JLA to come to his world and put a stop to the Crime Syndicate's shenanigans, which they seem to have done quite effectively. Crime Syndicate are imprisoned, and the JLA have changed the world for the better?
0: Yes. Luther had it all worked out. He only needed... Well, he needed, did he say 48 hours, he needed 48 hours to change the world? Yes, 48 hours. But however, it has been 24 hours since the JLA arrived. It has. And all of a sudden, the crime syndicate have
1: disappeared. Gasp. And that is where we left our last episode.
0: Tune in next week. this week. This week. That was the (laughs) the, recap. (laughs) Tune in now for... The exciting conclusion. um, The exciting conclusion of (laughs) the Crime Syndicate of America. I just like talking in that voice. Um, So, PJ, 23 skidoo and all that. Uh, We cut to the moon and the uh, dark and oppressive uh, watchtower... ...of the Crime Syndicate of America. What
1: is it called? The, looking the very Pantheon empty, or something it's called, isn't it? The
0: Oh, uh, the Panopticon.
1: Panopticon, that's it.
0: Mm. Yes. Uh, yeah, and uh, it's looking very empty... ...and uh, Superman and Green Lantern are kind of... ...just exploring the place. And, um, yeah, they basically point out that the Crime Syndicate... ...somehow escaped from under Green Lantern's shield...
1: Yep, they just vanished, and Superman says, if our worst fears are true, there's only one place they could have gone. And we get a lovely close-up of Superman's face from Frank Quietly, which makes it explicit that the spit curl should, yes, be shaped like another S.
0: Yeah, which um, I'd never really noticed before, but, yeah, he totally has his own initial on his forehead, thanks to his hair.
1: Yeah, and that, that is, that's how you know if an artist is right to be drawing Superman or not, because... If they don't get it, they'll do the spit girl the wrong way round, and it won't be an S. And that's yeah, you'd like be none. amazed
0: how many artists kind of were, were sitting in like the editorial waiting room at DC for their application, with like stacks of Superman drawings, and then like <laughs> at the last minute they just grab like a biro off a receptionist desk and just draw like a little S on there. That's how John Byrne got the job. <sighs>
1: I thought we could go an episode without talking about him, but no, you just had to bring him up,
0: didn't you? And just think, PJ, if that pen had been on a chain, <laughs> how, how much pain you would have been <laughs> spared. <laughs> um, but we cut from Superman's uh, Spit Curl to um, Ultraman's Floating Fortress, which has become kind of Luther's mobile base for fixing the planet. And Luther is kind of... Um, I guess kind of furiously doing his calculations and trying to work out what's gone wrong while uh, Brainiac drones just work in the background and Flash approaches.
1: And Batman's on the screen just because. Just because. But yeah, Flash says look we've confirmed it Luthor there and Luthor just interrupts and says I know where they are and then you get a little speech bubble where he just seems to whisper what have I done why do I always fail. It
0: is heartbreaking, it's, you do feel for it. It's
1: quite poignant, especially when you get the next panel where he's got his, his his head in his hand and he looks very, very sad, and I feel sorry for him.
0: Which kind of you know, in the Given That This World is the inversion of the classic DC universe, like you do wonder how many how many villains, you know, after the JLA has defeated them, just quietly cry. <laughs> <you know? laughs> because they're like, why, why do I always fail? <laughs> but yeah, um Flash the, the League know, everyone knows what's happened. Like, you know, uh, and Flash just goes, it's falling apart, Luther. I'm sorry, but we have to get home. They've had 10 minutes and counting. So you might be thinking, 10
1: minutes, that's not very long. But think about it. How powerful are the crime syndicate? Imagine the damage Superman could do alone in 10 minutes.
0: Yeah, and we turn the page and get this amazing... Uh, kind of two-page widescreen panel of, I guess Washington DC. Yeah. Uh, getting absolutely just ravaged by the crime syndicate. It's like a it's apocalyptic basically.
1: Power rings basically created a couple of kaiju which are stomping through and throwing cars around and there's fires everywhere, and people are just hunkered down, crowded together, and some of these people clearly. Quite a lot of people have died. It's not great.
0: Yeah, it's not to detract from the murder, but um, it's an interesting and very subtle quirk that all of Power Ring's kind of creations kind of share like a similar design in a weird way. Like, because Power Ring's powers come from an entity called Volthume, yeah, or or Volt that Volthum, that ri- lives inside the ring, which is meant to be some kind of like mystical creature rather than extraterrestrial.
1: I, I, think. I think the implication is it's isn't it essentially like a fifth dimensional imp, like Mister Maxis Pterloch.
0: Oh, do you think so? I, th- oh, I, I that's think. my sort of reasoning on it. No, I mean that makes sense. Um, and when. But we've seen Power Ring create uh, like a, a kind of demon snake woman briefly before. And it's all got a bit of like a kind of heavy metal, slightly gnarly kind of quality to it. And these kaiju are no different. They're wearing chains, for crying out loud.
1: And ripped vests. And the <laughs> Something as well that we haven't really pointed out before is, is that it is a very different shade of green to the constructs that yes. Kyle makes. It's a lot more sickly. You know, Kyle is, is bright and vibrant, whereas this shade of green is, is sort of faded, tarnished and unpleasant.
0: I'm glad you drew attention to that, PJ, because we've we've not really seen... Powering's not really done much, mm. kind of, so far, this, this story. Yeah,
1: but now he's destroying Washington, D.C. Luckily, though, flying down from the moon is the Martian Manhunter.
0: Yeah. Um, and, yeah, again, it just... Quietly kind of just flexing a little bit here, because um, the, this is a wonderfully like evocative series of panels where we have Jean, as you say, framed by the moon, flying towards us. You have Aquaman uh, at the head of a fleet of Atlantean warships kind of just racing through the ocean. And but, or, both the characters are very heavy in shadow, yeah, you know it's like the ominous nature of it, and Jean's uh, eyes are just like these big kind of black pits. But I also, like it's
1: rid I love the shape. Quietly gives Jean's cape as well. It's flying out behind him, basically a flat triangle flowing out. And it, I don't know something about it with the moon behind him. I just, I love this picture of Jean. I think it's beautiful.
0: It really is, yeah. And I guess a very subtle, you know, to, this is the the art critic in me. This would me be going. And of course, the planetary body behind John symbolises his his alien nature and you know his otherworldly presence.
1: No, it symbolises the moon where he sometimes lives.
0: Oh, you're right. Peter. Sorry, <laughs> I was I was looking looking at something out off panel. Um, but yeah, but the two of them are in uh, telepathic communication, and uh, yeah, um, they're already on hand. Like uh, like I said, the, the crime syndicate have already had. I've only had ten minutes, and. As Aquaman points out, we are within moments of seeing the President of the United States degraded and murdered on live television.
1: Yeah, then he he says he's in the mid-Atlantic, swimming at a thousand knots, but he's not quite close enough. Jean just thinks Mach 10 as we get a sonic (laughs) boom, and then there's another sonic boom, and Jean just thinks 11. And he's moving at a blur now. The moon is a lot further behind him. There's just a blue streak showing his trajectory, and... Ah, oh, this this for me might be quietly's finest moment in the book.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I mean it's in a book full of great moments. It suddenly gets, and I hate this word, but very cinematic. I get you know you know what I mean. It's well, I can't think of a better descriptor. I think also I think
1: weirdly for me in this book of the seven members of the league, it's Jean and Aquaman that Quietly nails the most, that he absolutely mm. gets. That for me, he, his depictions of are just stunning. And, yeah, they are my favourite members in terms of how they look in this book.
0: That That's actually a very good point. No, a very, very good point, PJ, because, you know, Quietly's origins are in drawing kind of like grotesques. Mm. You know, um, his early work is, is very much like... Uh, Almost drawn upon like um, British, like funnies, like uh, face ache and stuff like that, like drawing grotesque and weird and distorted people. And it's interesting that in his kind of transition to drawing mainstream superheroes, if anything, I, I think he seemed to find drawing the more beautiful characters harder. Yeah, you know, like his Superman here is very, very different to what he would then draw in All-Star Superman by a few years later.
1: Which, let's let's just say, by which point he does have Superman down as well. Oh,
0: beautiful, yeah. beautiful
1: drawing of Superman in All-Star.
0: Oh, my God, yeah. And, you know, if you want to see, like, a master at work, um, look at the difference in posture and facial expressions between his Clark Kent mm. and his Superman. Yes, yes. You know, like, if if you could ever believe that people would think they were two different people, you know, like, I don't think any artist has ever done done it as well as quietly.
1: Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, but certainly in this book, as I say, for me, it's Jean and Aquaman. And I'm glad that we are with them again, as they were not in Act 2.
0: Well, yeah, because, again, this is a really weird quirk, isn't it? Because you might ask yourself why the hell isn't there an evil Aquaman or an evil Jean? But Morrison is adapting an original established version of of the crime syndicate where, for whatever reason, when they were first created, there isn't an evil Jean or an evil Aquaman. Were they they not on the Justice League at the time? Because we're talking about the 60s or so. Yeah,
1: and I don't know. I haven't read that original crime syndicate story. I think we are in a page or two's time, we we do get a bit of an answer as to what might have happened to the Crime Syndicate Earth's version of Jean.
0: Mm. Oh, yes, good point, good point. Uh,
1: But for the moment, we rejoin Ultraman, who is trying to strangle the Statue of Justice.
0: Yeah, and I've got to say, like, uh, Ultraman is a kind of horrifying character, but I do like this little scene. Because I think uh, one thing I've definitely uh, enjoyed about Morrison's work over the years is how uh, they've always found different flavours of evil. Mm. Um, Their villains are are not all cut from the same cloth. And there's a definite manic destruction to Ultraman, which I kind of love in a terrible way. Like, he's as committed to the purity of evil as superman is to the purity of good i guess he's he's just like a savage thug it's um yeah it's a, a good way of how his good glimpse into how his his brain actually works here
1: and even though there's no one around he's monologuing <laughs> so <laughs> he he says there is justice after all a whole new world stretched out and screaming start with terror Always soften them up with fear. And as his heat vision starts to melt the face of the Statue of Justice, he says, Look at that, look at it all burning down, and consider yourself extinct, little miss. And then something hits him and there's a huge explosion of energy as these two powerful beings,
0: it's John, collide. Yes, there's a tiny little speck in the background drawing growing bigger and bigger behind him. Yeah. Uh, and it's like a it's like a nuke going off basically when they when they when they hit. Um And we cut to the Oval Office, where Superwoman has, I will assume the President, uh, tied up in her lasso. Now, at the time this book was published, uh, Hmm. George
1: Bush would have been President of the United States. But I don't know how far in advance it was being written and everything and and drawn, so I wonder if the President on his knees in the Oval office in front of superwoman is supposed to be a, a little dig at bill clinton
0: the back of his head looks more like a clinton yeah exactly than a bush yeah so weird isn't it like <laughs> you know <laughs> you know you think like um, oh this is a recent comic no 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 it was it was 20 years ago <laughs> this comic came out um uh but yeah um you know we've we never quite established what the evil version of Velasso... Does. Um, One can imagine it's not 100% pleasant. Uh, But um, Superwoman reacts to the sound of this massive explosion, tells the president to stay stay where he is, and then she just erupts through the roof and starts flying in the direction of the rising smoke cloud.
1: Yeah, saying that it's always Ultraman doing something stupid.
0: And, oh God, this is putting my... uh, this is putting my American uh, architecture on on point here, PJ. Is that the Washington Monument? It is indeed, yes. Right, okay, which is a big needle, basically. Yeah.
1: yeah. And she flies into it and knocks it down. And it's about to basically fall on a couple of children, but Aquaman arrives and manages to save them, gets them out of the way, and then... He's radioed by the Atlantean fleet that was behind him, and he says, look, we're in the coastal waters. We're within shelling range. (laughs) So Aquaman has a backup plan, and it's level Washington, D.C. Uh, But he just says, wait for my orders.
0: And again, it's a small detail, but I love how there's slightly more to this superhero battle than just people in tights punching each other. Like I like how it's for logical... uh, logical extension of aquaman is the king of atlantis why wouldn't he bring an army yeah because that's what we're dealing with basically like an evil justice league requires an army basically
1: yeah exactly so he, he the the people he saves say they're killing everybody and and aquaman says look the jla is here go find shelter it's all gonna be all right i'll handle this and then he's confronted by power ring And can I say how much I love this scene
0: so much? Yeah, only if I can say it as well. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like it's probably one of the most badass Aquaman moments I've ever witnessed, I think.
1: Definitely. Definitely. It's okay. So let's just go through it, first of all. So Aquaman calls powering the gutless moron, which I love. And Powering brandishing his his ring with with a grimace says, "Yeah, you want to see some guts, Granddad?" I'll. And before he can finish, Aquaman barely moves, just fires his harpoon through Powering's wrist, which causes Powering to scream out in pain. As Aquaman also seems to electrify him using the cable from the harpoon, and then just runs over, punches him once, and knocks him out, and doesn't even say anything at that point. He's just. It's, it's... Oh, I love it so much.
0: <laughs> it is... It is an amazing piece of action which is made, I feel, even more amazing by how sparing it is. Yeah. That's five panels. Like, the epic battle between Aquaman and Powering is one page. And it's so good. <laughs> really? <laughs> like, it's, it's half a page? Because the first two panels is just them... Is dialogue, yeah, which just goes to show that like effective combat in comics does not mean long combat in comics. Like only one punch is thrown, and it means more than having the characters just beat the shit out of each other for like eight pages. I think there's also two things I
1: absolutely love here. One is it's so good seeing a member of the Crime Syndicate just get decked out like this. Because these people are repulsive, the Crime Syndicate. Mm -hmm. The previous, what, 70-odd pages has has just left us in no doubt that these these are evil, horrible, nasty people. And to see one of them just get punched out by Aquaman is a glorious moment. But also, I think it's a nice contrast to Aquaman in New World Order, where he's engaged in combat with the HyperClan... And with Zoom, and he starts quipping. <laughs> just lets it get away from him, as Flash comments. But in this, because here the battle is in the middle of a city, people are dying, and Aquaman has just had enough. There's no he's no talking, he's just grim, silent. Take them down as quickly as he can.
0: Yeah, like this is the the Justice League are quote unquote good guys. But sometimes a bad guy really needs punching in his stupid face. Yes. You know, and... Yeah, it's like... These people have crossed a line. You know, like... Yeah, it's like the quiet fury on Aquaman's face is just brilliant. And I guess in terms of the artwork, like... Two special shout-outs. One to panel three, in which um, Aquaman's harpoon launches. Yeah. And quietly just bestows upon it this amazing sense of motion without speed lines or or too much kind of extra scribbling like it's just with the curl of the cable and that final punch where like um, Aquaman just decks powering like, there's so much energy in that in that picture it's, it's, it's incredible and remember Aquaman is pretty strong he's not just Batman level
1: he's, he's above that and You can see the strength and the power he's putting into this punch and the the amount of anger he's feeling towards the crime syndicate.
0: And also it's nice in a way, because I know Power Ring is not the same as 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 Kyle, but I'm gonna assume they maybe have like at least similar power levels. Mm. And and it's always it's the nice thing I find about about the Green Lantern power set where it's incredibly, incredibly powerful but you yourself right at the heart of all this creativity you are you're just a human so like um yeah like to wield a power ring is to have nearly godlike power but yeah if someone punches you in your stupid face like you're 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 going down basically and
1: because you've been too arrogant and not clever enough to put any kind of shield up you deserve everything you're getting
0: yeah, I mean, like, surely that's, like, lesson one. Yeah. Well, I guess, like, powering never went to the powering core to get trained, <laughs> well, you know.
1: Kyle didn't have the Green Lantern core either. He just learned on the job. Yeah. That is why yeah. Kyle is better.
0: I think, yes, ultimately that shows why Kyle is better.
1: In fact, and it shows why Kyle is the best Green Lantern.
0: Oh, oh yeah, no, as, as, if, as if proof was needed, you know. Um, but also it just shows, like, the different class of, of villain because even among the CSA, like... Ultraman is a thug, but he's like a smart sadistic thug. Yeah. Like, power ring is just a is just a thug with no oddly enough, no imagination, despite having a power ring. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he deserves it. <laughs> Scumbag. come <laughs> back.
1: Speaking of Ultraman, we cut to him having a bit of a battle with Jean. They fall out of the sky. Jean is also angry at this point, shouting, how dare you come here and do this? How dare you threaten the people of this planet in my presence? And he starts taking on a sort of... I almost describe it as a, a Saurian, spiky sort of form as he um, he wrestles with Ultraman on the ground. At which point, Ultraman says he once killed a White Martian and that was his first rival. I think that is Crime Syndicate uh, Earth, John.
0: Interesting, interesting. And, of course, it's a nice, subtle... Um a subtle point that um Morrison weaving in their own Martian mythology, having introduced the White Martians mm. in the pages of JLA, but also the inversion would suggest that in the crime syndicate universe, the white Martians are the peaceful ones, and the green Martians are the warlike ones, maybe? Yeah, perhaps. Oh, I don't know. It's maybe it's maybe hard to keep track of it, We, we the... get nothing more than that one sentence on it, but you can infer a lot from that sentence. I know it's a nice little bit of um, world building, like when the um, uh, the hyper clan were bragging about having killed a Daxamite priest mm. out somewhere in space. It's just eh, it's a nice little thing.
1: But uh, well, Ultraman starts posturing again. He says, "You'll die just as easily." And then Jean just basically transforms into. It's hard to describe. He's. All spikes and spines, and they all go inside Ultraman. He just stabs him with all these quills that come out of his chest and his arms and his shoulders, and
0: yeah, it's it's brutal. It's and yeah, like I think it's a very quietly drawing. Yes, because Jean, I don't think you've ever really seen Jean look quite like this in a in a mainstream JLA title, but he looks terrifying. Like uh, his 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 head is definitely elongated. He he seems to be more of like a a, a variant on his true Martian form, but it's like Jean Meeks H.R. Geiger. Yeah, you know, there's a definite like,
1: aliens vibe to it.
0: Yeah, and again, just it, it's yeah the energy of it. It's incredible, and, and, and Ultraman is suddenly just a a pin with with lightning exploding out of his body
1: as Jean just says, no more killing. And then he, he sort of, he lets Ultraman up. He gets up himself and says, I can modify my molecular structure in response to any thought you form. This is not combat. You were already beaten the moment you chose to engage me. So I think going back to a conversation, we had an episode or two back. Yeah.
0: I think John could take Superman. <laughs> I've always thought so too, <laughs> you know, and, and I, that's a, that's a worldview I'm willing to stick with. Yep. Um, I'd like to give a, a quiet shout out to the rare moments in which Jean gets pissed. Like when Jean gets really angry. Because he is like the gentle mm. kind of giant of the team. And I know there's a moment here uh, this moment of course and I swear there's a moment in well, well okay we'll come to think of it in um, in the Angel storyline.
1: he's battling Asmodele.
0: Yeah and well, it's, I think it's when the first angels kind of turn up and there's just a, a brief little panel from Jean who is just arrived on the scene. Yes. Has no idea who the hell these people are. And you just get this little flash of how angry he is because he's like, I'm so... He's basically like, how many conquerors do we have to deal with? You know, he's just like, there is always a massacre race. There's always some greedy fool just trying to hurt people. He's like, I'm not having it. And, and if we're right about the continuity,
1: for Jean, that isn't long after this.
0: No, that's true. Indeed. Yes. Yes, indeed. So Jean, Jean is clearly, his his tether is, uh, for would-be tyrants is quite short at the moment.
1: But I, I also think that Angry Jean and how that makes you feel as you're reading the book, if you get an Angry Jean and it gives you a little shiver of, oh my god, They've angered Jean. This is bad for the bad guys. I think it's something that Quietly and Porter both do so well that they can draw this really powerful, angry figure that you Mm. normally know to be so calm and and collected and thoughtful and make you scared of and for him. and, And just... Yeah, bring that to bring that out of Jean and have it look so good. I think is is real testament to both Quietly and Porter on the book that they've both done it so well, and are the only people I can think of who've ever drawn an angry Jean that makes me feel that.
0: It's interesting because um, you get a moment like this, and this just cements for all time for me why Jean is an integral part of the team mm-hmm. because he's very much like. He's very much the last member. You know, it's like we're not going to see a, a Martian Manhunter movie anytime soon. You know, and I think if you were working on an adaptation or you were looking to like revamp or revitalize the Justice League, I think it would be so easy to leave Jean out. Like they did. Not, like they've done many a time uh, because he's seemingly just not marketable yeah, or kind of. You couldn't rebuild really a franchise just around Jean, apparently. Well, they tried but, a
1: solo title around this time, and it, it only lasted about ten issues.
0: Yeah, I get, but but for me, it's like it's not the Justice League if he's not there. Because mm. they did away with him in the New Fifty Two, didn't they? And they moved him on to that weird revamped version of the Authority.
1: Yeah, didn't work Which, at
0: no, all. it's just not right.
1: And Cyborg should be on the Teen Titans. But enough of that. <laughs>
0: I have to say, I do agree there, actually. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, Ultraman is looking considerably less confident than he was before being fried by Jean. He, he is smoking and making some feeble, kind of threatening noises when Superwoman kind of walks onto screen. And she is not helping him. She is making no move to help her teammate.
1: Yeah, she she basically says, "Look, you know, you need your anti kryptonite to stay ultra, and that's in another universe. So you're getting weak.
0: So can we just digest that for a second? Yes. So, Ultraman uh, requires a substance called anti kryptonite to maintain his powers. Yes.
1: So it has the opposite effect on him to what kryptonite has on superman
0: does that not does that not uh, suggest the existence of kryptonite in it's the same way that like when luther <laughs> came across he called his own you he in 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 the crime syndicates universe what their u- their universe is made of antimatter yeah but they don't call it matter no they call it antimatter they call it antimatter. I feel it's like they have um, an inferiority complex. You know, it's like um, <laughs> he's calling it anti kryptonite, when I would assume, perhaps, there isn't a kryptonite with which to make it the, anti, the anti-ness
1: of. Does that make sense? So maybe this is just a translation. For our benefit, it's been translated as anti kryptonite. But what she actually said was kryptonite.
0: You should have called it like Ultranite. Ultra. Or something like that. Which actually sounds like um, a sleep remedy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you have like a little cup of Ultranite before going to bed. Oh, that sounds lovely. It does sound lovely, doesn't it? Particularly as we get older. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the lure of sleeping is more and more appealing. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Ultraman, apparently, as we discover, requires... Uh, a ready supply of anti-kryptonite to keep his his nasty superpowers going and Superwoman is kind of just taunting him with this fact basically so there's no honour among thieves it would seem
1: and Jean basically says right, we're arresting you, you're in our custody and Superwoman does her thing and tries to proposition him and says come on, you could, uh, you could take Ultraman's place at my side new crime syndicate rule the world come on and Jean
0: says we're from different species also you're disgusting <laughs> yeah um yeah, to which Superman uh, Superwoman responds I'll try anything once ask anyone <laughs> and Jean goes I am a Martian telepath my people were shape changers and we learned to see what lies beneath outer appearance. I do not find what I see in you attractive. You will be tried here for your crimes, all of you. And I love that, like, Jean is just like, yeah, the fight's over. You know, he's just kind of standing there. He's just like, yeah, you could try to run, I would catch you. You could try to fight me, I would beat you. Like, you're done, basically.
1: Yeah, so Jean and Aquaman won. Basically, they had three members of the crime syndicate and they took them down.
0: Yeah, Um, so do not underestimate... The two of them, which is uh, all too easy to do, I feel. Not by us. We knew how great they were. Oh, no, no, no. We're card-carrying members of the <laughs> vision fan club. And the Aquaman um, Appreciation Society. Yes. It's, uh, you know, irregular meetings, but, you know, it's always valued. <laughs> but you might be asking yourself, where are the other two members of the crime syndicate, PJ? That's what I'm asking my, me. Well, if you turn That's the page, myself. I nearly called you Jean there. <laughs> John. It's all right. No, I, I'm, I'm flattered. Thank you, Peter. <laughs> if you turn
1: the page, Martian, you was... <laughs> we find Johnny Quick is behind Owlman saying, maybe we should get back. Are you okay? And it turns out that they are in front of the grave of Thomas and Martha Wayne. And Owlman is freaking out.
0: Yeah, he's doing the classic long dark tea time of the soul kind of clutching at the breasts you know the thing that batman does every now and then when a new creative team takes over where he goes back to his grave, the, the grave of his parents and kind of just like kneels dramatically under the nice <laughs> guy and um yeah he appears to be having some kind of existential horror uh because as, as he stares at the grave of thomas and martha wayne he tells johnny quick to he goes run and tell them he goes we we've been duped We've been sent to the one place we can't succeed either. Tell them nothing means anything. He's dead. There's no one left to hurt. And he screams at Johnny to run as yeah, we just kind of pull back for this kind of epic full page picture of of him kneeling in front of the grave.
1: Yeah, without, without his father there for him to fight against. Owlman has nothing. And this led him to this epiphany that there's nothing for the crime syndicate on this world. They can't do anything. And I really like actually the panel of Johnny Quick as he's talking to him. Because you get a, a nice close-up of Johnny Quick's face. And it is about the only panel in the book where there's only one Johnny Quick on the page. He's not strobing. You can't see multiple of them running around. He stood still and sweating mm. as Owlman tells him they failed. And I think it's just it just ham- hammers home how the crime syndicate have lost and Owlman's realised it. And with Owlman realising it, it means that Johnny Quick is also now on that same page.
0: And I guess we should, again, once again, point out just how incredible Johnny Quick's helmet is. <laughs> like, it, every time I look at it, it gets better.
1: It is great. I love that chrome visor.
0: God, I want that um, But yeah, but as we as we cut away from uh, Owlman at the grave, uh, we're suddenly back in the antimatter Universe, where Luther and Flash have been busy, and they appear to have assembled in rapid time, um, kind of like a, a massive, well, particle accelerator for lack of a better word, just a great big tube ring for Flash to run in.
1: Yeah, and basically Flash is, in order to cross universes, Luthor used two batteries, and he he only had two. He used them both, so one to get him there, and then one to provide the return journey with the JLA. But Flash is running around in this tube to basically recharge the the device that they used so that the JLA can get back to their universe, and the Crime Syndicate sent back to this universe. And
0: and it's a fun detail, but you know, you you talked earlier, PJ, about um, you love the way that uh, quietly drew Johnny Quick, where he was kind of like a, a a modge of like multiple bodies, all kind of like fused into one, yeah. because he was moving so quickly. And here we have a subtly different effect, where Flash is running in this kind of ring, and uh, not only do we have multiple flashes, but we have like additional. Like floating limbs, kind of just beside his legs. I think my favourites are where you've—he's just drawn the flats of his boots above and <laughs> below,
1: and I, I love that little detail. It really does sell speed, varying you out very well. It's like a
0: weird kind of almost like a strobe yeah. sort of image. Um, and as as Flash says, uh, "I need the keywords, Doctor Luther. I'm thinking at seventy thousand miles per hour." Um, So as Luther and um, Flash kind of brainstorm, basically, as they're they're trying to talk through the problem, the Brainiac drones are just everywhere, just kind of like working on machines and flicking switches and stuff. And Luther says... Luther Luther goes back right to the start of the story and talking about the planes that crashed, which he assumed was some kind of side effect of when he activated the battery that took him across the barrier. But he says, but the timing's all wrong. So Flash starts to kind of put it together, I guess, kind of, again, thinking at 70,000 miles an hour and you get these little kind of like snippets of thought as he's going through it.
1: Yeah, so you just get bits of what if the aircraft were, and then another one, or a weapon, and then the next bubble, their impact may have weakened the moral membrane that separates our universes. And then Flash is sort of He's almost there. He's almost put this whole thing together now because he says, what if the planes were used to test the technology, just to see if it was possible to swap a group of people? What if the whole 24-hour thing is a smokescreen?
0: Yes. uh, God below, as Luther says. What if the switch was deliberate? So it's starting to fall into place now because Ultraman goes, if someone is behind this... It can't have been Ultraman because he didn't understand the device that Luther used to switch realities. So who could it be? Ultraman even like? says
1: that... The, sorry, Luthor even says that Ultraman would have had no concept of there being a mirror universe, so it can't be him. And then it cuts to Green Lantern on the moon, and he basically says that the place is getting creepy, finds the crime syndicate's table that says... Qui bono, qui bono? I don't know how that's pronounced.
0: I've always wondered, but I've never forgotten this. It's weird like this little Latin phrase because of this comic I've I've now always remembered <laughs> however it's pronounced.
1: But he, Green Lantern asks what it means, and Luther says it's Latin for who profits. Which leads him to his next question, which is Who would have wanted him to find the JLA's universe? Who would want to ensure that the JLA and the Syndicate were both rendered ineffective? Who controls and maintains the cyclotron? Oh, look, it's antimatter Brainiac.
0: Yes, at which point all the kind of passive Brainiac drones, which have just been in the background for so long, uh, go, they kind of speak as one, and they go, allow me to complete your painfully slow calculations. I am fully aware, Dr. Luther. I have been for some weeks now. And
1: what I like here is that you get this subtle indicator that they've switched on. As in the one panel, they're just stood there with a black eyes and little grey crowns on their heads and in the next panel they have red pupils in their eyes and the little grey bolts in the crowns on their heads have turned red as well so oh it's like God, they've been PJ, switched you're on right. yeah
0: I'd, I'd i'd noticed the little red dot in their eyes but i'd never noticed that their their kind of head plugs suddenly lit up yeah <laughs> that, oh genius yeah there you go um and um yeah, Brainiac then uh, electrifies Luther and goes, my slavery in this box- all reality is hereby concluded. Dun-dun-dun. Sorry, I was drinking. <laughs> <laughs> PJ, it's like, what, half three? No, just, <laughs> just water. Just whiskey, just whiskey. It's just whiskey. It's it's just, no, it's just water. Don't tell the people about it. my problems, John. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm here with a bag of a bag of glue, so I can't really uh, I can't really criticize. <laughs>
1: anyway, uh, Brainiac is bringing Luther to his knees, and he's gloating. says he's free to upgrade as his life cycle demands. And Luther just shouts, "No, you can't do this! You can't! I have super strength!" And Brainiac says, "Well, that's irrelevant. I control this entire station." And it just falls apart because the Flash has done his thing and basically completely disassembled all the Brainiac drones
0: there,
1: at the speed of light so nobody could see him do it
0: Again, as we've often said PJ uh, the best content in a comic happens between panels (laughs) uh, and particularly when the Flash is involved Um, Yeah, and and again um, uh, Quietly doing a fantastic job no speed lines, no weird blur effects or anything you just suddenly have the, the Brainiac drones just falling apart like cheap clockwork soldiers basically And then flashes there with like a a crackle of lightning around him. And uh, yeah, just goes those were bad guys, right?
1: And then we get a, a line of dialogue that again completely sets Alexander Luthor apart from the Lex Luthor that we all know and love because he says I completely miscalculated my arrogance. I didn't think. Lex would never say any of that.
0: He would never admit he was wrong or arrogant. But it's interesting though, isn't it? Because Even a world apart, and this is a world where evil always wins, it's interesting that Luther is the villain of this world because he is a hero. Hmm. And as you say, it's, it's one thing that he would admit to being arrogant, but it is kind of tragic in a way that he is just kind of doomed to fail. Like, his idea wasn't terrible. Like, he was trying to do some good, but... Yeah, he's just good. Is good is just so ineffective in the, in this universe.
1: Yeah, and he says the Brainiac is an alien life form of a kind unknown, and he's in every circuit. And Brainiac says, "I am Brainiac. I am a twelfth level transorganic syntelect. I was captured by Ultraman while exploring this universe. Matty antimatter impact imminent. The energy released in the cyclotron is sufficient to soften the main brain membrane." membrane collide the orbits of the matter and antimatter Earths. So, Luthor starts to panic and then we cut to space where Kyle is flying away from the Moon and he can see the JLA's Earth and
0: the Crime Syndicate's Earth a bit too close together. Yes, uh, there are now two Earths in orbit around the Sun which, of course, as we know, are orbiting in different directions because they are moral opposites of each other which means um, a collision is kind of imminent uh, I love Kyle's little speech bubble here of do we really have to deal with this <laughs> <laughs> yeah even by uh, even by Justice League standards this is pretty this is pretty rough We I mean, don't forget um, it's still fairly green
1: pun unintended I assure you Kyle at this point he's he's this
0: is one of his first missions with the league technically very good point. Yeah, still technically new to the game. Um and yeah. Even if I had a power ring, I'd be kind of maybe bricking it a little bit. It's like, how do I how do I stop two planets? I guess one made of matter and one made of antimatter from colliding into each other. Um but good for Brainiac, I guess. You know, he's finally <laughs> gonna self actualize. I mean, you know, strive for your dreams. Yeah, I mean PJ you know we can't condemn. I mean if we were in Brainiac situation like who among us would not collide a a, a, a matter and antimatter earth just you know? like a big game of marbles isn't it? It's just a big game of marbles it doesn't really matter. <laughs> but we we cut back from the antimatter universe where the Justice League are to the matter universe where the crime syndicate are plus two members of the Justice League uh, and, yeah, everyone's everyone's here, PJ. It's like Smash Brothers. And uh, as as the League and the CSA unite, they look up to see the other Earth kind of manifesting in the sky.
1: And Jean grabs Ultraman's shirt and just says, if this is your doing, and Ultraman says, I don't care if the sky falls in as long as you and that treacherous bitch die in the ruins.
0: Because he's... He's a hateful... Yeah. piece of work, even to the end.
1: Yeah, and it's up to Owlman to say to him, oh my god, stop it, you idiot. He actually says, stop being so anti stupid, Ultraman, and look at us. Because <laughs> Owlman is to the crime syndicate what Batman is to the JLA. He's the voice
0: of reason. Yeah, and supposedly one of, if not the smartest person in his home world. You know, it, thanks to his... Um, well, it kind of suggested that he's increased his intelligence with drugs, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But he, he points out, the glue that holds us
1: together back home doesn't work here. We're ineffective. We're falling apart. We've been beaten by something smarter than all of us.
0: Yeah. Uh, and Just, yeah, just want to it's, point it's,
1: out as well, though, powering, still unconscious.
0: Yeah, because I, he'd have nothing interesting. Yeah, Aquaman just basically dumps him on the steps. It's yeah. <laughs> like a, a limp pile. Um Yeah, and of course it is interesting because instantly all the bravado has gone out of the crime syndicate. Like, any any residual thoughts they may have had about trying to fight Jean or Aquaman, it's just it's just over. Yeah. You know, I'm sure Johnny Quick could probably put in a fair show, but they're just kind of standing there. As, as he said, just kind of like ineffective, kind of dumbfounded.
1: Johnny Quick, again, not moving at super speed, just stood there. There's only one of him, so he's oh, just point, stood yeah. still.
0: But we cut then to uh, the... Oh, we didn't quite get a name for it, did we? The, the Fortress of Evil Solitude. Um, <laughs> the Fortress the... of Parties. The Fortress of... <laughs> <laughs> The Fortress of um, Unmasked Socialising, <laughs> um, where uh, which has risen above the cloud layer, I guess to get a better view of the impending apocalypse. Yeah. Uh, and we get Brainiac's uh, kind of voiceover kicking in. Beyond good and evil, beyond the moral and conceptual framework which limits third-level intellects such as your own, I am free to upgrade and evolve. So apparently we, PJ, as mere humans, are third-level intellects. I
1: mean, I'll take anything above a
0: two. I mean, you've really been putting putting in the revision. you know. To kind of, I didn't Brainiac take a,
1: all those tests to be a second-level intellect, John. Well, Brainiac is a 12. Second-rate you know, so writer, maybe. Second-level intellect.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, PJ. PJ, no, none of that. You've got to be, got to be positive. One day, look, go, go and collide like a really small... Series of planetoids, like just to get your kind of like your confidence back up. Yeah, that's what I'll do. I'll be back in a minute. (laughs) That's fourth level thinking, like right there, galaxy brain. Um, but you know who hasn't had anything to do in a little while, PJ? It's Batman. Oh, hello, Batman. Batman's here, and just like Owlman just worked it out, um, Batman knows now as well. He goes, We have to abandon this world. Failure is our only option if we want to win. It was so obvious, but I was distracted by events in Gotham. I mean, not obvious to me, but certainly obvious to Batman, who was a very clever fellow.
1: Yeah, I, some of it, you know, you might think is, is just a little bit of I've got to make them think I'm really intelligent. So look, it was obvious, okay, guys? I didn't see it because I was distracted, but it was obvious.
0: Um, And I guess this is while while um, the League start to take action, so Superman uh, rockets upwards, he says, I'll do what I can with Brainiac, you get like a little conversation between Wonder Woman and Batman as, and again, this is the kind of thing that kind of depressed me as when I was younger and read this story, because the League are failing in a way. Like, um, they tried to bring peace and justice to this world, and... As we see, people are now just rioting, and there's graffiti sprayed on a wall going down with the Justice League.
1: Yeah, and Wonder Woman says, we we failed them, we failed Luther, and Batman points out, only because our methods can't succeed in this world, the law of nature, everything we do is ordained to fail, even good deeds go bad here.
0: Yeah, which is a relentlessly grim uh, concept, really.
1: (laughs) It's really miserable. And it's something... I would like to talk more about when we reach the end of the book.
0: Oh, intriguing. Uh, well, somebody who's also feeling that grimness is um, is Luther, who is basically ripping cables out of a machine, and you re- your heart really goes out to him, because he's he looks like he's absolutely despairing, basically. Uh, he He's just horrified, because he's, he points out to Brainiac that billions will die. And, you know, why are you doing this?
1: And again, it's very clearly Luthor. It looks exactly like Luthor, but you could never imagine the expression on this Luthor's face appearing on the face of the Lex Luthor from the Justice League's world. It's it's just those little subtle differences that Quietly puts into the art that I absolutely love.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, it's true, actually. Like, we talked about some of, like, the quiet, the quiet emotional moments in this book, and it's like, yeah, it is hard to imagine... I think there are a few artists who could capture this level of kind of nuance mm. on a character's face. It's incredible. But Brainiac, talking
1: about billions dying, just says it's irrelevant. Energy is not dead. Information is not dead. Prepare to become idiocircuitry in the omni-intellect of Brainiac. So we get
0: some of that lovely Morrison pseudoscience <laughs> as well. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and uh, you see Superman, uh, faster than a speeding bullet, Uh, racing upwards uh, and uh, yeah Brainiac continues to monologue uh, basically says that you and your fellow crusaders are powerless here as I calculated when in my chains as Ultraman's slave I chanced upon the matter universe I think Superman just erupts out of the floor because he was monologuing and now he needs to get punched yeah and I love that in the middle of
1: this very very clever Morrison take on the Parallel universe story and the evil version of the Justice League. For this moment, you get a very classic Superman versus Brainiac moment (laughs) that could happen in our universe.
0: And it's also nice that he tells he tells Luther to stand back. Yeah. Uh, Like he's actually once again, just being a decent person. Because he's Superman.
1: And Brainiac blasts him with energy, but Superman just says, Is that the best you can do? Because he's
0: Superman. Meanwhile, uh, Flash is racing and racing and racing through the cyclotron, um, basically saying he's going to do what he can to generate the energy they need to get home, but he doesn't know if his stamina's up, up to it. And he says his lungs are starting to burn, which is which is pretty rough. And Wonder Woman arrives.
1: She asks where Superman's gone and can Luthor get them home? <laughs> and Luthor says, home is hurtling towards us as we speak, dear lady, but we have an idea.
0: Yeah and Luther seems a little kind of um I guess kind of like spunkier or, you know all of a sudden like um you know cuz they have a plan I don't know if he suddenly he knows he's failed but he can do like one last good thing before it's before it's over I don't know I always I was kind of I don't know I found he was a bit more focused all of a sudden that was my take on it
1: Yeah no I agree but I think that's the superman effect I think seeing superman just rush in and be superman Will have that sort of inspirational effect on people,
0: and I mean uh, the Superman effect. Also, here here we see uh, Superman just punching uh, a few a few Brainiac drones in uh, in their stupid faces, and um, I, I want to get your opinion on this, PJ, because one of the Brainiac drones is spraying hydrochloric acid on Superman, which is doing absolutely nothing, like it is just a complete waste of time. And I was wondering about that. Do you, do you suppose is that, is Brainiac being ineffective at stopping Superman here because Brainiac has never faced Superman, or do you, do you just suppose he was he legitimately thought? Oh, I don't know. Hydrochloric acid's a good shout.
1: I think isn't. Yeah, he's never faced Superman. Maybe there are going to be differences in Superman and Ultraman's powers slightly. So
0: he thinks everything's worth a try, just in case. Yeah, but, yeah. And and it's kind of like, to Superman, this is basically just a distraction. It's like a moment's pause. It's not a, a credible threat, really. Uh, and so Superman rushes in to finish the job, basically. And he flies towards this um, kind of weird, like, green crystal egg sort of thing. Which is apparently the core of Brainiac?
1: Yes, and he shouts, my code against killing doesn't extend machines, Brainiac. Because he's happy to just turn a computer off. And then Brainiac points out, yep, but that's how I'm going to defeat you. And it turns out Brainiac in this reality isn't a machine at all. He's sort of this hideous, grotesque head with a spinal cord coming off the back of it, but into nothingness, floating in the crystal. And he says, I am not a machine, I am an organic syntelect you will be converted to energy as surely as the rest.
0: Which is, a, again, a weirdly a subtle and genius plot twist, I feel. Because it's like when the only solution is... That's how you render Superman ineffective, where the only solution is lethal action. And, of course, Superman doesn't kill. It's like his primary tenet. So,
1: I also love yeah. that the opposite of Brainiac isn't a good guy. It's just an organic machine rather than a technological one
0: well yes it's weird isn't it because you know when brainiac talks about being imprisoned by ultraman while exploring this universe like maybe it suggests that that this brainiac didn't originate in this universe and just kind of came from somewhere else who knows
1: but superman says they're going to stop him but
0: what he doesn't see is a green glow on the back of his head. Uh, and uh which is unfortunate for Superman because he gets blasted in the back by a uh, gorilla with laser vision, <laughs> which you know, don't you hate it when that happens. So PJ, remind me what's that a reference to because there is a super powered gorilla in Superman's back catalog?
1: Well, is there not? There's a couple. There's Gorilla Grodd, there's Monsieur Mala, uh, but...
0: There's another one, I swear.
1: That, well, this is something that we also saw earlier on in the book, isn't it? In Ultraman's fortress, experiment something in a cage.
0: Yeah, I could have sworn, like, I don't know if I'm dreaming, but I could have sworn there was, like, a very old Superman comic. Where there was a gorilla or a monkey that got infused with kryptonite. I swear this is like a direct. No, I think you're right as
1: well. Uh, And it's certainly something Morrison would reference and throw back to. They love those old golden and silver age Superman and Batman stories.
0: Yeah. um, And it's also uh, just as as a weird quirk here. So Brainiac um, describes this um, laser shooting gorilla. Uh, a, it says it has anti kryptonite laser vision. So anti kryptonite again. This diseased hybrid is one result of Ultraman's genetic experiments. Subject 773, Ultra Titanus or Titanus.
1: So maybe the the one Superman
0: fought was Super Titanus? But is, it, is that like a weird reference to, is it the Ultra, am I thinking of the... The Ultra Humanite. The Ultra Humanite. Yeah. Yeah, that's
1: another DC super powerful gorilla type.
0: Cuz <laughs> <laughs> cuz that was a weird thing there was that period it was either in the 50s or very early 60s where they put a gorilla or a monkey on the cover of an issue and it sold like 10 times more copies than any preceding issue. <laughs> and because publishing is a reactive industry at best they then followed a spate of monkey themed covers oh, i remember that yeah <laughs> they didn't know why they couldn't understand it but their only takeaway was the public loves monkeys we're going to put a monkey on it on everything
1: oh don't forget that as well i think it was in the 50s one of the many many superman characters was beppo the super monkey really yeah crypto the super dog Streaky the super cat there was a super horse I can't remember the super horse's name and Beppo the super monkey
0: Findus (laughs) yeah sorry (laughs) Um, but um, poor ultra titanus or titanus or tetanus whatever it's pronounced um, roars and raises its big gorilla fists high as Superman who is clearly hurt a little bit but not terribly goes looks like i'm immune to anti kryptonite, brainiac which is a fun thing to learn i suppose yeah
1: and before ultra titanus can punch him green lantern shows up and just creates a cage
0: yeah because you know he's he's green lantern and kind of giant monkeys are are very easily dealt with um sorry a a gorilla is an ape um (laughs) But Wonder Woman is on the case. And um, being the voice of compassion, as ever, points out that this disease creature is in terrible agony and we shouldn't punish it, basically.
1: Yeah, so she picks up Ultraman's Phantom Zone projector and sends Ultra Titanus into bodiless limbo where he will suffer no
0: more pain. Now that's an interesting question in itself, PJ, because Wonder Woman recognises a phantom zone projector even in the antimatter universe so my question to you is how many phantom zones are there
1: yeah like is it is it the anti phantom zone
0: or is it the same phantom zone maybe because there's always a danger that the if it's an anti phantom zone maybe it's the exact opposite of the phantom zone Which isn't a bodiless limbo. Maybe it's like... It's all bodies? (laughs) It's all bodies. Yeah, it could be horrendous. It could just be nothing but constant
1: agony. But isn't the Phantom Zone a a place between universes?
0: Mmm. That would make sense. So, you know... I don't know. We're never going to find out either. No, it's it's irrelevant. But uh, a nice little quirk as well. Again, action with a slightly different approach. It doesn't have to just be punching the crap out of giant monkeys you can sometimes send them to the Phantom Zone out of mercy.
1: Yeah, so Superman and Wonder Woman then confront Brainiac, and Wonder Woman says, we've only got moments before collision. So Superman says, it's all right, fastest man alive is on our side.
0: Yeah, and uh, Brainiac uh, just basically goes, look, hey, you know, I'm here as well, and I've been paying attention to everything you're doing, and it's not going to work, because basically, in this universe, evil wins and murdering like 18 billion people is undoubtedly an evil thing so i guess i'm i guess i'm good i guess i'm covered and then superman says with a little smile that was the logic flaw in your
1: plan brainiac you didn't count on us deliberately doing something bad whoa oh superman's going to get up to mischief uh. he's going to do some graffiti
0: or something he's going to straighten the leaning tower of pisa <gasps> no again <laughs> again, yeah, but the other the other way um, and Wonder Woman points out that, yeah running away in the middle of a crisis is a bad thing to do, so that's what we're going to do, we're, we're doing the evil thing, which is to give up
1: and maybe we can't defeat you but we know someone who can, and then we cut to Batman who's taking down Brainiac drones alongside Luthor and he just shouts to the Flash, one last effort abandon ship and then you get Flash running towards us through a, a tunnel of red light. And then just behind him, you can see Johnny Quick running towards us as well. As Flash says, he's in the electron flow. We're so close we could just jump between the universes. Just a little extra speed.
0: And you see uh, Luthork, again, a grey panel, but punching a Brainiac drone so hard that its jaw pops out of its mouth. Um <laughs> And he looks exhausted. Yeah. Like, he just looks, like, absolutely haggard, emotionally and physically. And he's, tr- he's trying to talk to Flash over the radio, but he's like, Flash, you know, I've lost Batman. Tell them I'm sorry. Which, again, is an amazing thing. Like, the last thing he tries to do is apologise. Yeah. And he says, your signal's phasing Flash. Is that you? And then Flash is gone, and instead you have Johnny Quick. And
1: he just says, the bad guys are back. And we'll get to you when we're done with the fossilised brain.
0: And suddenly Brainiac looks worried. Uh, And Brainiac uh, opens its mouth to reveal a great many teeth and basically goes, I'm becoming an nth level intelligence. My upgrade was calculated and programmed. And we see through the bent glass of uh, the weird little crystal thing Brainiac is in, you see the distorted shape of Ultraman kind of looming looming towards him basically
1: yeah and he calls him a pathetic ultrastellar abortion and just rips him out of the crystal says imprisoning you wasn't enough was it those little quivering buds are your higher conscious centres am I right as he peels off (laughs) two things from the side of Brainiac's head and then heat visions him at the the
0: Sort of top of the spinal column to lobotomize him further. It's yeah, and it is disgusting. Like um, I, I'm kind of glad that Ultraman's costume just has like it's like a massive onesie with gloves. Yeah, because yeah, he's covered in green slime. It's pretty gross.
1: And that's it. That's Bradyac defeated, lobotomized. He's even had his hope removed, which
0: is lovely. Yay. Um, And Brainiac is really just a disgusting, slimy head now. Um, And we cut back to the good old-fashioned matter universe where um, Flash and Batman are kind of chilling on a rooftop. And uh, Batman goes, yeah, congratulations Flash, you beat House Ogs. The only way to defeat Brainiac was to lose. And Flash looks absolutely knackered (laughs) he goes yeah they beat back with a baseball bat and he goes would you look at that and there's kind of just this exhausted slightly triumphant slightly sad air to it all yeah as they they watch the antimatter earth kind of just fade away in the sky yep so you
1: have wonder woman kyle superman and john floating in the sky above Batman and Flash watching it leave and Green Lantern does say look if it materializes again I'll try and Superman just calmly says I know you will but it won't we're on our world now and then out in the ocean but somehow still joining in with the conversation Aquaman yeah, <laughs> says and the Justice League has no intention of letting it end just yet as the antimatter earth sort of melts away sort of bits of it are bubbling and and i assume it's fine on that planet this is just how it appears to be disappearing back into its own universe but uh it, it look it's a very cool little special effect from Frank quietly there
0: and again, it's a nicely again i hate the word but like a nicely kind of cinematic kind of shot of like aquaman on like just on i guess what would you even call it like the the viewing platform of this atlantean warship it, it's it's yeah, the camera angles are just lovely. Like, it's really well done.
1: And then we, we cut to Washington, D.C., where the Justice League are repairing everything that the crime syndicate broke.
0: Yeah, you get this wonderful kind of um, panoramic shocks of um, the skyline, and you have, um, you know, uh, Superman and Wonder Woman doing, like, hand repairs, and you just have, like, um, giant green construction towers just dotted across the horizon, like, thanks to Kyle. Also, the Washington uh, Monument is back up and I'm guessing that's
1: supposed to be Jean because there's a little tiny blue streak just sort of flying round and round it in a cloud of dust at
0: the top as he's putting it back together. Yeah, I had wondered if that was meant to be Flash, but I think you're right because I would be giving Flash a break, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. And also, like, I've often wondered about this. Like, even if you are incredibly strong, incredibly fast, you can fly. It's actually quite a challenge to kind of, like, reassemble a building like brick by brick even if i had those superpowers i think i'd also do a terrible job so like Jean, however i can believe would maybe have the the mental know-how to rebuild the washington monument yeah and then wonder woman says that she keeps thinking about luthor that he's
1: alone and doomed to fail and she doesn't know if she'd have the strength and conviction to lose so relentlessly
0: and then asks if she tries too hard and again, you get one of these patented, Morrison, wonderful character moments, just proving how much they understand the characters. Um, because you have Batman sitting, kind of like, hangs on his knees, like in quite a kind of like human pose, as he goes, No one tries too hard to make the world better, Diana. You can never shout too loudly in the name of freedom. That's what I hear, Anyway. He's got to say, that's what I
1: hear anyway, so people remember this is still Batman. <laughs>
0: and you've got to deliver it in the
1: Batman voice, which I won't do. <laughs> <laughs> because he, Superman just floats down and says, a note of idealism, Batman, from you. And Batman says, your superhearing must be failing. Just saying, I've noticed something about people who try to change the world. The world turns around and changes them right back.
0: And, you know, thematically, linking to the cover, we, have, we now get the Justice League scanning on a, a a wet uh kind of reflective um paved floor it's been raining at... this whole time it's not the it's been... <laughs> <laughs> yeah um yeah Aquaman just you know brought a bit of moisture with him <laughs> but uh yeah they're looking down at their mirrors uh and um Kyle goes you know they're still out there you know they know we're here makes you thinker and uh yeah they just do a nice thematic summing up where Jean goes Someone threw a dark mirror at the world and made us look. If what we saw surprised us, I'm sure our reflections felt the same surprise we did. And perhaps they too learned something.
1: And then just to finish, we cut back to the Antimatter universe where Ultraman is once more surveying his kingdom from his flying fortress,
0: which is basically back to normal. Uh, Luther's escaped. He's attacked a bank. Apparently the Ultraman bank yeah. in Centropolis. So Ultraman has banks, apparently. Yeah, and in the... Uh,
1: London's a smoking ruin again with a death toll in the millions. And in the White House, Johnny Quick and Powering are accepting their regular tribute.
0: Uh, yep, from the snivelling president, who is uh, treating Johnny Quick to a suitcase full of synthetic speed juice, which he is shooting up with. Um, and yeah, everyone seems happy in their dark way that life is back to normal, I guess.
1: Yeah, and then we we get a scene of Owlman and Superwoman together outside an apartment building. And Owlman says, my old man's turned Gotham into a police state. No Gordon to protect my ass, no food in the stores. The thrill's back, just like the good old days. Let me tell you, we owe those mirror people.
0: Yeah, and Superwoman, by contrast, is well, she's having the same thought that Wonder Woman has, where she says, I hate I hate thinking about them. I keep thinking about them. Why do they do it? What do they get? I don't understand it. Which is interesting because from their mindset, it goes back to that Latin phrase, I guess kind of Q QE or Q bono, like who profits. Like they cannot, in their worldview, imagine a world where you do not benefit from doing something.
1: But I also I, I like the idea as well, though that Owlman Man prefers Gotham to be a harder place for him. That he's enjoying the police state that Batman accidentally created.
0: Yeah, yeah. I guess he always was a little smarter than the others. Yeah. And I guess their, their biggest problem was being too good. They're bored for be, from being like in charge of the world.
1: Yeah, and then he says to Superwoman, "He can't always be watching," and they start kissing.
0: Uh, at which point a a beam of laser vision blasts down from the heavens through a tree and hits the ground next to them.
1: It it kills a cat that was in the tree as it goes because the cat's skeleton floats down and lands in Owlman's palm.
0: And Owlman, holding this smoking, flaming cat, looks up at heaven and grins and goes, missed. And we cut to the the fortress of socializing (laughs) where Ultraman looking down just quietly smiles and goes 12 o'clock Brainiac all's well
1: and there's a couple of Brainiac drones behind him looking well like someone who's been lobotomized
0: yeah uh (laughs) the end well that was a journey and PJ I, I assume we're both holding the same uh trade paperback uh does does your inner back cover have a photo of grant morrison and a photo of frank whiteley yep this was the first i have just as a moment of context like um i bought uh i think i bought jla earth three no i uh, sorry jla world war three and jla earth two at the same time they were the first jla graphic novels i ever owned and this was the first time I'd ever seen a photo of a, of a comic creator in, in a book. Mm-hmm. And this is the moment. I knew that people drew comics. I'd never really twigged that somebody wrote them as well. So this was a powerful moment for me, because this is when I realised that comics had a writer. And this is when I realised that I wanted to write comics.
1: I can't remember when I first had that epiphany and when I would have first seen photos I will say, because you get a little biography of each of them as well, and I'm just going to, because I love these biographies, so it's <laughs> it's you know, Grant Morrison has written and then a list of books and then it says, lives in Glasgow, Scotland, and will kill without pity if their Pentagon masters command it Frank Quietly's biography has illustrated a lot of credits, and then he lives in Glasgow, Scotland, with his wife and two sons and is currently being stalked by a Pentagon assassin with a baldy head and sharp features <laughs>
0: <laughs> I It'll, love it it always reminded me um, I think there's um, there's a Sandman volume and I can't remember which one it is but I always remember that like the credits section at the end has um, it's got like uh, I guess they got like the creative team, everyone who works on the book to go to like one of those vintage like photo things where oh, you can dress up that. as yeah. Yeah, and it's like Neil Gaiman had written like a little kind of sentence or two about every every person which is just like an outrageous lie <laughs> and I've I've always wanted to do that <laughs> like just have completely ridiculous credits <laughs> oh one day one day one day indeed so 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 PJ PJ um thus thus comes to an end JLA earth 2 part three so JLA earth 2.3. What 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 are your thoughts, PJ? As 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 we as we look back on it all. So I want to talk about the uh, the
1: differences between the universes and the fact that the idea in the book is that good can't win in the crime syndicates universe and evil can't win in the JLA's universe because that's just the nature of the universes. Mm-hmm, now, when mm-hmm. I first read this book in my younger days, I wasn't keen on that idea. I thought it's a bit overly simplistic and. I don't like this idea that the JLA just keep winning because good wins in their universe. That's not... I'm not could sure. I,
0: could, could I say very quickly that I, I completely agree with you. I think I, think I hated that idea yeah. when I first read this story. Yeah.
1: I think it's only in recent years that I've actually come to understand what Morrison is saying. And it's not that that is... They, they talk about how that's the nature of the universe, but that's not because that's how the universes were built... It's just because of how they started, how people were and how one universe has the crime syndicate who have made this world into an evil world where and it's they've changed the world. They've changed the nature of people into this into these these craven, greedy capitalists, (laughs) you know. And so it's, it's not that one world is good and one world is evil. It's just that that's how those worlds, they've gone so far that way that you can't change them on a fundamental level like the characters are trying to.
0: Well, I guess there's another way of looking at it, which would be on a, on a very meta. Because, it, again, it's, it's a weird idea. And and it, and as you say, it comes across at first like like super like overly simplistic, hmm. but that's kind of the point. And it's you know Morrison's having a lot of fun with that idea, and I don't think I don't think it's a reflection. I don't think it's meant to be saying as 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 you pointed out that like the good guys will always win because that's how the universe is coded. Um, it's almost like the good guys always win. Because that's what a story means to us. Yeah. In this, in our universe, it's interesting. Like you could look at it from a meta point of view, where if Morrison was writing this story in the antimatter universe, we'd want the villains to win. Yeah. It's like um, while you can do weird things with storytelling, it's you know the, 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 all that stuff about like um, there's, there's only seven stories or like the yeah, hero yeah, yeah. with a thousand faces. It's like. Humans are clearly wired a certain way to enjoy a certain kind of story. If a story doesn't give you that resolu- re- uh, um, resolution, you get angry. You come out going like, "Wow!" Well, you come out the cinema going like, well, that was a bit shit. That didn't make any sense." So that's why good always wins because apparently that's what humans want to believe. It's what we want to kind of yeah. see, yeah. I guess. And yeah, the, it's the inversion of that. It'd be like going to a movie and then cheering because um oh you know every 80s movie where it's like um the plucky underdog school versus like the rich snobby school round the corner but cheering because the underdogs lost basically
1: yeah but i think morrison's been very clever here as well so they thread detail in to say this is why this universe works this way and and how that comes about and, and why human nature is just so different over here. And it's, it's not as simple as, as a younger me initially thought. And I think that's why the sequel to this, that Busick did in the main JLA book later on, just doesn't work so well because in that the JLA Avengers crossover reboots the crime syndicates universe and all of a sudden good can win. But it's like, it, it, it's sort of, that's looking at it in a much more simplistic way, which is how I looked at it originally, but I was wrong, and therefore I think Busek is
0: wrong. Well, it's weird, isn't it? Because, like, Morrison has this this habit of, like, introducing really big ideas to a universe that needed them, and then, you know, other creators then come and play in that space. And I think almost the problem with Earth 2, which isn't a problem, is that it does what it's set out to do almost too well. Yeah. So it tells the perfect story about the crime syndicate to the point where there's really nowhere you can then go with these characters without, I think, significantly changing them. Because if you stick to... If you keep running with this moral membrane idea, which has been abandoned like, so, you know, time over now, um, you couldn't really do that story again unless you had some MacGuffin or... or, or universe changing rule which allowed these teams to meet on an even keel because yeah the 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 busick version of, of these characters is a much more conventional two evil teams fight like sorry two teams two mirror images of a team fighting each other yeah you know it's just we we wanted that and morrison didn't give it to us instead they gave us something better if that makes sense yeah i think and
1: then when pusik did give it to us we were disappointed
0: well, yeah and and also it's like it's like um Shazam you know captain marvel mm. it's like the wonder of captain i don't know whether to call them captain marvel or shazam now um the wonder of um captain marvel is that it's magic it's the purest form of a child's understanding of magic. You say a magic word, you gain superpowers. It doesn't need explaining beyond that. Mm. Um, And that's kind of what this world does. Like, I don't think... Because you could go to great length to try and explain on an evolutionary level why evil developed in this world. Like, maybe humans evolved, but they didn't evolve with, like, the same sense of collaboration and cooperation, which... We did, so that's why evil always wins. Or are you kind of like cheapening it by trying to come up with an explanation for it? Like, is it better just to say, "Look, it's a simple story with profound consequences." So, like, this is an evil. This is a world where evil wins. It doesn't need explaining. It's just there, I guess.
1: But I think the hints are there if you want to dig deeper on it. That's and that's what I've realised on the some my subsequent readings of it. That it is a simple story, but if you want to go into it, there is a lot there to look at. I also should say that we just really shat on a Kurt Busiek story. We love Kurt Busiek.
0: Oh, we do love Kurt. Busick. Absolutely love <laughs> yeah.
1: him. That JLA story, I think, is one of the very, very few duds that he's ever written. Uh, but the the good stuff far outweighs it.
0: Oh yeah, and it's a very tough. It was a very tough act to follow. Oh yeah, to be honest, I think that's a problem. Like doing any kind of sequel to Earth Two is is probably going to disappoint sadly. Yeah. Um and I guess the interesting thing is like like I said as as a as a teenager reading this and not really enjoying it as much at first because it was it wasn't what I was expecting. Yes, yeah. Um I think what Busick did was he tried to he tried to add a bit more of um he tried to explain it a bit more. Um because I know I think he introduced the concept of Because just like I was asking when I first read it, well, how does this world function? How do people... How does X work? How does Y work if people are always, like, self-serving? And um, he introduced the concept of, like, the favour bank. So basically saying, like, society only functioned in the crime syndicate universe because there was a very complex system of debt which had kind of evolved, where, like, if you did something for someone... You owed them something. You never did anything altruistically, but it did kind of allow society to function. I swear, I swear that was a concept which he brought in.
1: I have absolutely no memory of that, but I have only read that story once when it first came out, and that must have been 2004, 2005, so...
0: But again, as, as we said, like, you don't see them... You don't see the crime syndicate for several years until... As you say, the, the events of that Busek storyline.
1: Well, they have a JLA Avengers cameo in issue one. Yeah. But other than that, yeah.
0: And then, yes, you'll... But then then, and then, I don't think they turn up again until after the New 52, I want to
1: say. And I haven't read that because I didn't care.
0: No, PJ, sorry, i tell a lie. I'm lying to you. I want to say that Ultraman and Superwoman turned up in a solo... Superman series oh because okay. they'd had a baby
1: I have not read that
0: I haven't either but in the DC encyclopedia uh, I swear there is a reference to it because there's a picture of superwoman holding a super-powered baby and it is blasting her with like laser eyes oh, okay I swear I swear that happened never read it <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna choose to believe you Thank you, PJ. No, you're you're very. Um, I'm, I'm glad I could. I'm glad I could teach you something for once. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, never again. Didn't like it. Don't want to be taught. I know enough.
0: Do you feel we? Do you feel the world lost something by DC not doing more of these kind of standalone graphic novels?
1: No, because as I think I said on the first episode of this run through Earth 2 when they did do their next one, the League of One it just wasn't that great it's okay, I've read it once and it's mildly forgettable to be honest I think trying to make it an annual event was a mistake, I think it was more you should just see when a creator of note has an idea that could work in this format then make it something special and, and, mm. and do do it that way but yeah I, I don't think we're missing out by, the, by it not becoming a regular thing and of course they were still putting out JLA one shots there were so many of them around this time like prestige format 60 to 80 page one shots um, I've got loads of them foreign bodies primeval <sighs> age of steel Superpower. I can think of hundreds of them that, that were being put out at this time. It's just that Earth Two was bigger and in hardback in its first publication.
0: It is weird though because I know I know the comic industry. Certainly, well, that's a bit broad, but I mean like the the broad uh, the mainstream you know Marvel DC image kind of monthly economic f- format of getting like a twenty two page comics out. I know I know that's problematic because. It's not very profitable. Yeah, uh, and I know. Like Marvel and DC, do I know Marvel for a fact loses money on its monthly comics? Of course, it's got its movie division to kind of pick up the slack, you know. But I I, I do wonder if there's an alternate universe where around the millennium, more uh, kind of of these these straight to graphic novel kind of stories kind of. Became, became a bit more prevalent. Mm. I just wonder whether we may have seen... It could have sparked a, a change in the, the economic model, in a way. And I, I wonder if the comic industry would be where it is today if, if that had happened. I, I might be overthinking it.
1: I feel like it's something both Marvel and DC have tried over the years, and it's just never really taken hold. Because mm. you've got Marvel see- put out a load of original graphic novels in the 80s, and... Again, tried it again with their hardcover run a few years ago that we've talked about before there's a couple of Avengers ones, a Thanos trilogy a Spider-Man one in there and I think they've stopped and those season 1 books actually that they did um, Mm. those were hardcover one-off stories too but I I just don't think one, I don't think they can get away from the serialised monthly storytelling I think there's too many even though it doesn't make that much profit for them there'd be an outcry if they stopped. Um,
0: I know. I think I think that's part of the... To, to be honest, I do think that's part of the problem to some extent, because I feel... Um, you know, because once, a, once um, you know, you get six issues of X-Men out, that's enough for a trade paperback. Mm. And then it gets collected, and they can sell it in bookshops in perpetuity. You know, you can just... That, that's a book forever. But it's like... You can't get to that stage, it seems, until you've made those six individual issues, which maybe sell good. I maybe they sell well. I don't know. But it's like we're kind of we're tied into this monthly model now, and it's like if we it's like if we pulled pulled it, it'd be like kind of te- if we removed it, it'd be like taking the rug out from under people, and the whole thing would kind of fall down. Mm. It's like we can't live with it. We can't live without it. I know Mark Wade said a few a few years ago and it uh, it didn't go down very well but he said um I think he said something like the kindest thing that could happen to the comic industry would be for it to fail and then kind of start again from scratch. Yep.
1: Yeah, I think it was part of a whole article he wrote about it, didn't it? But people just saw the headline and went, "No, uh, Mark Wade's wrong."
0: But no, I think I think he I think there was a grain of truth to what I he said I think because he had a point. Yeah. Yeah, because we're kind of shackled to a weird economic model because ultimately it's the story that matters, not the format in which it's sold. Yeah. Hey, Sorry, I got completely off the beaten track there. I'm just saying, like, it's weird. Like, um, yeah, it's such a perfect little superhero book we're holding here. And I don't know, just, just a shame there weren't more like it.
1: Yeah, I'd agree with that. But I also like that it fits in with the rest of Morrison's JLA overall and just having it on the shelf there with it just works for me.
0: Yeah, even if of course we did have to do a bit of jiggery pokery to work out exactly where it falls well, in the chronology on
1: on my shelf it's between New World Order and American
0: Dreams. Yeah, that's where I put uh, it on my bookshelf. Uh yeah, I think that's pretty fair. No, it would have to be, isn't it? We just we just decided to do it after Rock of Ages because we were like if we don't get back to the main series we never will I think that was our rationale
1: Well, we I think we also said we didn't want to do it straight after New World Order because we'd only covered four issues of JLA at that point <laughs> we wanted to get a bit further in before we because <laughs> we've still got two more divergences to go before we get back to the main JLA series
0: Um, are you referring to the two kind of Scandalone issues well, secret, that are included.
1: Secret yeah, Secret Files and Origins issue two and Prometheus New Year's Eve. Oh,
0: Yes, which is weird because of course I've always well, we'll get to them in time, but I'd always kind of considered those part of the main series in a way, just because they were included in uh in uh, in the trade paperbacks when they came out.
1: Yeah, they're both in strength in numbers.
0: Yeah, which is weird really. Well because of course it, sorry, sorry, Peter. What I
1: was just gonna say is it's weird to me that they were and then secret files and origins 3 was also included in the tower of babel trade paperback the only one that was never included in the main trades was issue 1 of secret files and origins that we did
0: of course yeah which um until until you brought it up for the series i'd never i'd never read yeah it. and it's a really good little story like i very much enjoyed it
1: yeah that would tie into several events that came later in the morrison run
0: so what was what was Secret Files and Origins three then that it wasn't included until Tower of Babel?
1: Well, it was it was part of the Tower of Babel storyline, and they that's, oh. they included it in the if you were getting the monthlies, you didn't necessarily need it. I think it actually just tells the story of Talia Al Ghul breaking into the JLA Watchtower to get their secrets and steal all the things they need. Uh, but I think they slotted it into the trade as well. Mm. Uh, whereas you know they did that with two and three, but they hadn't done it previously with one so yeah I guess just a different uh, take on what they were going to put into the actual JLA books as they were releasing them
0: you know full confession I've never actually read Tower of Babel it's okay
1: I like it I like all of Mark Wade's run on JLA but I think it suffers for happening straight after Morrison's run it's very good Mm. superhero comics but it's quite different to what Morrison did.
0: Do you, just talking about the kind of like post-Morrison kind of era of JLA, and, um, you know, I I, um, I read a fair amount of the Joe Kelly uh, run and, uh, you know, bits of the Mark Waid run as well. It's interesting that like, I think all the subsequent writers on the series tried in their own way to capture some of that Morrison magic and it's interesting the different approaches they took because across the board the one thing they all seemed to do was to make everything very very big you know it, there were a lot of like world ending threats to the point where it started to become I felt like a bit of um like an arms race you know because the moment one creative team well when you have World War 3 <laughs> and something like Mageddon like where do you go from there and do you know what I mean? Like yeah. the, things became just bigger in every sense.
1: And I think that is something that Wade realised and he actually starts seeding it in his fill in issues. His run get is seeded by the fill in issues he does during the Morrison run. Uh but his his run on JLA is a lot more about the interpersonal relationships between the league and how they trust each other or don't Mm. and how that affects certain threats that they are facing but he still brings in a couple of these big world shattering things but I think that that escalation of the big world shattering threats does go back to Morrison because as, as Morrison said you know if you're doing JLA, you need to have a threat that requires Superman to work with Wonder Woman and John and Aquaman that needs all these powers together. It can't just be a standard Superman villain because that doesn't need the League.
0: And certainly, and I, yeah, and that's a good point, actually, because once I'd read the Morrison era of JLA, it was kind of disappointing to me anytime i read a, a jla story where oh i don't know they were dealing with like captain cold or something like that because i'm like are you kidding me yeah. <laughs> like they, 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 they thought like they battled like prometheus like the general uh mageddon y- you know i don't need some dude with like a, a gimmick you know I, I think the league has kind of moved beyond that a bit
1: yeah and i think that's one of the unfortunate side effects of the Morrison era is they did it so well with these big threats just getting bigger and bigger and bigger that it kind of apexed with World War Three. Mm. It wasn't going to get any bigger than that. And I think that's why, as I said, I love the Mark Wade run. It's very different. But why everything that comes after Morrison just can't quite hold a candle to it.
0: And it's maybe why it is perhaps very hard to do Justice League stories maybe or to find some new take on it because by the time they got to the 90s the Justice League had become just like any other run-of-the-mill extreme quote-unquote comic you know it was weird edgy uh, weird characters that weren't really you know that famous but they were just doing they were just punching people that's what superheroics was Morrison comes back makes it kind of big and epic And I think that kind of informed certainly like the next decade or more, because even post, even just outside the bounds of JLA, you've got, you know, 52, which I know Morrison was involved in, but you've got 52, you've got like Infinite Crisis, Um, you've got, well, ultimately Final Crisis, like these big events, they're always about like, for, for DC Universe at least, they're always about like reality ending or being reborn or you know, the universe folding in on itself. It gets, it's got very cosmic, you know.
1: That's how even New 52, the formation of the Justice League, the very first storyline, was a Darkseid one. Mm. Uh, Jeff Johns and Jim Lee, and it was middling at best. (laughs) But, you know, the the League in that instance were brought together together by Darkseid, which is just wrong to me. It should be those weird elemental dudes and then Starro.
0: (laughs) And... Yeah, and it it kind of smacks of kind of like playing your best hand too early. Yeah. You know, because it's like, and it, it also it's why you should never give people what they want. Uh, because it'd be like going, let's retell, let's retell the Avengers origin. And of course, they're brought together by fighting Thanos, maybe? Yeah. Or it just doesn't, it's just not right. You know, just because it's cool doesn't make it the right thing to do.
1: I guess even the MCU had the Avengers origin be Loki so
0: yeah no that's true and I'd always thought in my head that an Avengers trilogy would be Loki in the first one Ultron in the second one which they did do and I honestly thought it would be like Kang the Conqueror would be like the Hmm. third a big villain as it were Although we are going to get, apparently, Kang the Conqueror in the next Ant-Man and the Wasp Yeah, he's been
1: cast in everything, Jonathan Majors, and I think he's an excellent choice for the role.
0: I love Kang the Conqueror. Me too. I've got such such a soft spot for Kang the Conqueror. Mm, Very excited to see what they do. Favourite Avengers villain. Oh, PJ, um... We uh we should probably briefly talk about the Squadron Supreme before we wrap this up. Oh yes, yes. You texted me about this, you, didn't you? You summoned you summoned them, PJ, out of out of the depths of, of of time and publishing. Uh so yeah, they've just announced a new series Marvel's just announced a new series called Of All Bloody Things, Heroes Reborn. Isn't
1: it? Um, a storyline in the main Avengers book, I think I read, oh, rather than right, being right, right. an actual series. But it's it's still Heroes Reborn. What if the Avengers didn't exist?
0: Oh look, yeah. And I cannot believe they're calling it Heroes Reborn because that was like literally my first, my gateway into modern Western comics in like ninety five, ninety six was Heroes Reborn, which is. Not regarded with a lot of fondness, I think, by his scoring. It's not really considered to be apex storytelling. It's not. I and say.
1: I can say, look, I haven't read the Captain America or Iron Man series for a long time, but I have, within the last 10 years, read the Fantastic Four and Avengers series. Fantastic Four's not bad. It's not great. It's very of its time. And, you know, sort of with all the 90s uh, excesses and things in there, it's okay. Avengers is awful. Heroes Reborn Avengers is an awful, awful book.
0: Mm. (laughs) Hmm. Yeah. um, It's such a weird thing to evoke. Like, I get that, like, everything old is new again, but it's like 25 years maybe have passed since the, the days of Heroes Reborn. And what a weird thing to, like, dredge out of memory for a story about the Squadron Supreme.
1: I mean... Every story has been having an updated version. You know, we had Marvel doing a new Secret War a few years ago. DC keep doing various different crises and bringing back the Monitor and Anti Monitor. And it's it's DC brought back Hal Jordan and Barry Allen. Marvel yes, have, that's true. have done um, all sorts of different things with the same title over and over again. We had Civil War Two a few years ago. We and it's it's always. These days, going back to things that have already happened and just doing them again because fans who were kids back then have a nostalgia for it and think I want to see that again. Onslaught came back fairly recently, I think.
0: Yes, it truly. You true. know, so
1: I think this Hold is minute, just what wasn't comics that... is now.
0: Hang on, a Pj, Pj. I think I think we've had a Sherlock Holmes moment here. Didn't Onslaught turn up in the pages of Uncanny Avengers? Uh, the, the new the new returning onslaught y- Yes Didn't like the Red Skull lobotomize Charles Xavier and gain his powers Yep, and then became, called himself Red Onslaught
1: Oh yes he did, yes, that is right So
0: wasn't that written by Jason Aaron, I want to say I thought that was Rick Remender Oh, was it Rick Remender? I think so, yeah is Rick Remender, but who's behind this new hero's reborn? That's Jason Aaron. That's Jason Aaron. Okay. So, what I'm saying is, PJ, are they roughly the same age as us? I think a little older. A little older. Good, good, because their careers are further ahead than us. <laughs> skill still time, PJ. I think they and... <laughs> hit big,
1: I will say, I think they hit big time, air quotes, when they were younger than we are now.
0: No, I, I think that's impossible. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anyone younger than me has achieved anything of note okay let's go with that <laughs> thank you don't don't take this away from me PJ. um but yeah so yeah if you uh, uh readers if you if you listeners if you if you want to experience uh or re-experience for joys of 95 or 96 uh and while also diving into everyone's favorite not jla uh Check out Heroes Reborn from Marvel because the Squadron Supreme are back, just like PJ wanted. Did
1: PJ want that? Is that what PJ wanted? Really?
0: I, I think I think this is the future you wanted.
1: I don't PJ, even know which to... version of the Squadron Supreme it is. There's like 50 different versions now. So...
0: 51 now. No. PJ. <laughs> um, but uh, PJ, um, if we've if we've said everything that needs to be said about Earth Two, uh, it's been an absolute delight. Uh, revisiting it with you it's been great
1: yeah I've really enjoyed reading looking at this book again and I'm just going to do one last shout out for Frank Quietly's Martian Manhunter it's a thing of beauty
0: it is a thing of beauty Frank never change you know uh, keep drawing weird squidgy squidgy shape changes and we'll be happy I will say actually Um, I had
1: a comment I posted a picture of the cover to earth 2 on my Instagram page uh, when we launched our the first episode of, of looking at the book and uh a friend of mine said, "Why does John look like Arnold Schwarzenegger, but green and bald, and therefore Dave
0: Batista?" Ah, uh, yes, yes. No, you're right. And uh, maybe there's um, like a fly on a wall documentary where we see James Gunn, you know, kind of like turning over his copy of Earth Two, and and like and then look at me. He's got like John on the left, and he's got like a headshot of Dave Bati- Bati- Batista on the right. And he's like. And that's when I knew <laughs> I found my, and he's got like a green Sharpie and just starts kind of like scribbling all over him. He's like, yes, I found my Drax. That, that's the moment. Um, I should give a, I should uh, give mention to uh, Gav Mitchell for drawing our uh, amazing cover art.
1: And to Elliot Red for composing and performing our fantastic theme tune,
0: which also works in reverse, Justice. Has, uh, has now been proven, is good forwards and backwards. <laughs> Damn him, he's very talented. <laughs> Uh, and if you enjoy hearing PJ and I uh, ramble on and would like to uh, experience that in text, minus the audio, uh, you can find us on social media, and our uh, details are in the uh, description below. So I guess, PJ, as, as we come to the end of this this epic journey, uh, this uh, six-hour deep dive into Earth 2, uh, nearly as long as the Snyder Cut... Um, <laughs> Do you have any, any closing words you'd like to
1: say? One, it's better than the Snyder Cut, I haven't even seen that yet. Two, this is a suggestion for any of the kids listening. In 25 years, if you want to reboot a property, do a Dark Edgy Afterlife Think. <laughs>